the Really Charlie Podcast. Making memories last. Your time, my time, we all shine on the Really Charlie Podcast. Really Charlie Podcast, a weekly show with the one person to make you say, Really Charlie? On the Really Charlie Podcast. Tune in. It's the Really Charlie Podcast, yeah, it's the Really Charlie Podcast, yo, yo, it's the Really Charlie Podcast, bump into your broadcast, grab a chair, fill your glass, yeah, it's the Really Charlie Podcast, yo, it's the Really Charlie Podcast, yeah, yeah, it's the Really Charlie Podcast, bump into your broadcast, grab a chair, fill your glass. Hey, hey, welcome to the Really Charlie Podcast. I'm Charlie Perry, and today's guest is George Weinstein. I am so impressed with this man. Uh, all the different things he has on his shelf, his bookshelf is uh, loaded with um, some amazing books that he wrote. You know, never mind what other people wrote, it's what he wrote. So um, I, I can't wait to chop it up with him. And uh, previously, we had a uh, Another outstanding author, um, which was his wife, Kim Conray. And I am so happy that I had met her because because of her, I met this gentleman. And uh, I'm very, very uh, happy. God is good in my eyes. God is good. Indeed. All right. You, uh, I'm, I'm just going to let the audience know a little bit about you. Um, you can find a lot of information about George on uh George Weinstein, Stein, oh, Steen, whoa, mm-hmm. com. George is an author of numerous novels in diverse genres, including the sassy Southern mystery Aftermath, his kidnapping thriller, Watch What You Say, and the domestic drama about reinvention, The Caretaker, the novel of a forgotten U.S. history, The Five Destinies of Carlos Moreno. His southern uh, gothic historic novel, which is going to be the first book I get, it's called Hard Scrabble Road, a favorite with book clubs. This long-awaited Hard Scrabble sequel is coming up, and that will be Return of Hard Scrabble Road, which will be published on October 11, 2022. So I cannot wait to get those books on my bookshelf, man. Thank you. Um, so the uh I, I I just um you know I listened to a lot of different uh podcasts that you were on and the consensus is 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 that you know everybody's impressed what you have written, um how you became a writer, um your involvement with the Atlanta Book Club. Writers um, Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Writers yep. Club, sorry. Yep, yeah. Oh, man, how could I mess up something that's been around over 100 years, you know? (laughs) Easy to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, I I just got to, I would, my afternoon ended really well because I ended with listening to some of the podcasts that you were on, Hmm. which actually led to me subscribing and following those podcasts because I thought the hosts were were very um informative and and I like their interview and and I can learn a lot from those interviews. So I'm gonna continue to follow those people because they already they already taught me a lot just in the afternoon. So um the uh I, I wanna um let's, let's go back in a little First, I want to say hi to my friend, Michael. Michael's an author, too. He's, he's in the process of writing his first book, George. And, um, That's great. It's a great story. So I did a couple of things. I sent him a link to um, Southern Fried Karma so he can kind of 
do is on uh, and um get some information about that and publishing and all that because his book is definitely um going to be an amazing story um so i can't wait yeah, hang in there michael yeah <laughs> it's all about butt in the chair put your butt in the chair your fingers on the keyboard that's what it's all <laughs> he's, about he's been doing that trust me yeah. he has um so the uh all right so you were born in maryland from what i see yeah about halfway between baltimore and dc yeah and, very uh you know, as soon as I could learn to read, I wanted to write. It's just how my brain is wired, and there are no other writers in my family. I don't know why, you know, I'm structured this way. But, man, as soon as I started reading stories, I wanted to write my own. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's definitely um, it's a blessing. Um, I had, a, you know, me, myself writing and doing different things. Throughout my lifetime, uh, I didn't realize that my dad wrote also, but um, oh. he he passed away in '92. So, um, but uh, we didn't find out that he that we both wrote until I was 15. So um, you know, and then uh, it, it was some of the things that he wrote about was so ahead of its time, and uh, I I surely wish he was a guest on this podcast because some of the things he would talk about would be amazing. So are you, you able to preserve all of that? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, we, we, it's, uh, I have very, um, as far as I don't have much of his, um, stuff because of, uh, and, uh, just a family accident and, um, mm. a lot of it got destroyed and, um, uh, so, um too bad. So That's right, uh, but you remember, yeah, yes, I do. Yes, Keep I do. Laugh that way. He gave me this uh, inspiration. Uh, um, I wrote a poem about faith, like in religious faith, mm -hmm. and fate. And I ended up writing about it. And it was something that he threw at me when I was at a young age. He just, he, he asked me, you know, what is it? And so I tried to explain it as best I could. And then he always, you know, he knew, he defined both words. He knew the definition and he would just basically twist it every time where I went with fate, he would with faith, you know, he went back and forth with it. And, yeah. um, I missed those things there where he would give me those brain teasers all the time. Yeah. So the, uh, it's like a wise man. Yes. Um, so at six years old, you started writing, you know, and, uh, and what was your first project? Oh, uh, I used to write uh, little plays for my stuffed animals to act out on top of my bed to entertain my brother and sister. So, wow. <laughs> Very nice. And, and I had little little plays, you know, it's just stacked up, stapled together, just stacks of them that I did. Um, so I'd have my favorite stuffed animals. They were the protagonist. The ones I didn't like so much, they were always the villains and, you know. <laughs> Uh, they were superheroes, they were gangsters, they were, you know, cops and robbers, all that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, and, and nobody suggested that I do this, you know, it was just something that I instantly wanted to do as, as soon as I could read. So, wow. uh, yeah. from there I went on to, uh, writing some short stories and then I got sidetracked by life. You know, I didn't do anything with those short stories and they never saw the light of day and probably a good thing. Um, uh, you know, cause I was writing them, you know, long before I, I had any, any talent, um, mm -hmm. sidetracked by life until, uh, well, really my, uh, my mid thirties or so. And, um, uh, uh uh, my first wife, uh, her father was one of the greatest storytellers God's ever put on this earth. And it was mm. a really natural thing for him to do. Uh, there was, there was nothing staged about it or, you know, you never felt like he was putting on a show. It was just, he would kick back from the supper table because it was a proper Southern household. So, mm -hmm. You know, there was uh, dinner at noon and then supper in the evening. There was no, no such thing as lunch in that household. Okay. And uh, he would just start talking about his growing up days in uh, South Georgia, uh, southwest part of the state. 
and uh, he had a psychopathic bootlegger for a father and a mother who had no interest in raising her children. And so he and his two older brothers and older sister pretty much had to raise each other during the Great Depression. Uh, and they were desperately poor. And uh, his stories were so different from my privileged middle-class upbringing that uh, I was fascinated from word go. Uh, and I would, you know, run back to the bedroom uh, that uh, my first wife and I were uh, were in and write down as much as I could remember using the words that, that he used as much mm -hmm. as possible. And I started accumulating these things um, and, you know, had no plans for them. It was just, they were fascinating and I wanted to record them. Uh, but after about a decade of this, I came to him and I said, man, you have got, a, you've got a memoir here if you want to write that. Mm -hmm. But if you just want to, you know, fictionalize, change everybody's names, oh, you've got a novel. Uh, I really think you ought to write that. And he said, oh, no, who would care? <laughs> I have no interest in writing that. And I said, well, I would like to write it then. And uh, you know, I'd like your, your permission to, to write it and I'll change everybody's names, protect the guilty and the innocent. Uh, but, you know, I, you've made me care and I didn't know you from Adam a decade ago. So mm -hmm. I, I think I can make other people care. And uh, that eventually became the novel Hard Scrabble Road. And it outsold, has outsold all my other books combined. I could write a hundred more books and it will still outsell all my other books combined. And uh, then excited to have the, the sequel finally coming out uh, this fall. So in the first book, 80% of the book is true and 20% of stuff I've made up, characters I made up, situations I made up. Mm -hmm. uh, but almost all the bad stuff is true. And then uh, in the sequel, uh, you know, the good news is all these kids survived a childhood that would have killed most of us. Uh, and they went on to fairly ordinary, mundane lives, uh, you know, careers in the military and then, you know, jobs as psychiatric nurses and electrical engineers and government contractors, all kinds of things. Awesome. Uh, very pedestrian kind of, you know, uh, adulthoods. Uh, which would make for a really boring story. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> in the sequel, 80% uh, is stuff I've made up, but 20% uh, but is true. Um, there, some of the catalysts for the, uh, for the sequel are, are based on true events, but then I spin them, you know, in my own uh, wild ways. Uh, and that's the pleasure of writing fiction. You sure know, is. Tell the sure truth is. Anything. Uh, so, you know, if I don't like the way things happened, well, I just change them. Mm -hmm. It's a, uh, I'm, I'm glad you got that inspiration from him. Um, when, when you get an inspiration from people that you're fond of or, or that just have, you just have that kind of admiration or um, for them. And then, yeah. I find that it allows me to write not near perfect, but it, it, it really gets me involved in it. I'm really into the characters and, and it, it just flows a whole lot easier. Yeah. There's um, a huge difference between writing from your heart and writing from your head, you know? Exactly. Uh, so when I'm thinking about things, just actively thinking about plot and, Oh, and he's going to say this and she's going to say that it's never smooth as when I'm almost automatic writing, you know, and it's just flowing out of me. And then I look at it later and say, I almost don't remember writing this. Where did this come from? <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. So, so true. <laughs> it, um, it, and I just, uh, I, I love writing. Um, um, a teacher, had uh inspired me to write mm -hmm. um and then a teacher shot me down and i didn't want to write and then later on in my adult life another teacher came across my path and encouraged me to write again so the good bad and ugly was based on some teachers that i had in uh yeah. or known and um so uh but it's been something that's really got me through a lot, a lot of things, issues, 
just by writing um, mainly my poetry that really just allows me to just vent. Doesn't mean I'm going through anything, but it just allows me to to go through, uh, you know, get these thoughts out of my head and put it to writing. And um, I always say writing, but it's actually not writing. It's it's typing, texting, you know. <laughs> now it's changed, and especially with me is I had the legal pad, the yellow legal pad, and I would just write and write and write, um, and then switching over to, you know, typing it. Uh, I'm trying to I. I got used to it, but, uh, it didn't, I think it was 2008 where I was trying to get used to it. Um, even though I had a law enforcement career where I was make type in reports, but it just seemed like it was different, you know, it just felt yeah. weird. So, um, and, um, so hard scrabble, um, it just caught my attention. Um, and, and I, I just, and I, I, I heard about the story um, about how you were getting other stories from your father-in-law and his family. Um, that must have been interesting because, as uh, to me, as they were telling you something real interesting about the story or something additional to what, you know, father-in-law said, it it probably said you probably said I got to write this down. I got to write this down, but you really couldn't until you decided to leave, you know, and uh, go into the next room or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it would have made him very self-conscious if I was sitting there taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yep. I, I can't, I can't wait to have that in my hand. Um, oh, thank you. And, um, uh, you know, the, a real interesting footnote to that is he started, his first reaction was who would care? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and he didn't think, you know, anybody would care about his childhood. By the end, um, when I was bringing him chapters to make sure I got all the details right about what was like growing up on this, you know, farm where they sharecropped. Uh, what was it like riding a school bus in 1938 in Colquitt, Georgia? Uh, all that stuff. Uh, working in a sawmill when he was Lord, he was 14, 15 years old. Uh, and breaking his back in a sawmill wow. um, and all this stuff, um, you know, the, the psychopathic bootlegger father and going on bootlegging runs with him, going to where, you know, these guys in a swamp mm -hmm. in North Florida made the, the actual, you know, corn whiskey, you know, and, and all that. Uh, so getting all that, um, he started seeing his childhood a different way. And by the end, he was writing his memoir that he mm -hmm. left my, you know, uh, my first wife and uh, her two older brothers. He left them a binder full of stories that they had never heard. I wow. had never heard. Uh, but just stuff that he recalled, you know, happened just because he got deeper and deeper into, you know, remembering his childhood. Uh, so that was a real blessing for that family uh, that, uh, you know, he left them. And in this case, uh, you know, contrasting with, you know, with your dad, he was able to leave them something that mm -hmm. was bound and, you know, will be on their bookshelves, you know, for the rest of their lives and get passed on, you know, to their kids and on and on. Um, and it'll, they'll live on, um, which makes me feel good because it just won't live on through a work of fiction, you know, mm -hmm. where I have to change stuff there. They actually have, you know, the stories that, That's you know, amazing. Came, came from his fingers. Um, so, uh, so yeah, really excited to have the, the sequel coming out. Finally, uh, people have been asking for it for about 10 years. So mm -hmm. it's about time I, you know, I got that done. Um, and I, you know, why I was interested in history is I think my dad, uh, so my dad was an amateur historian. He used to, uh, growing up in Maryland, uh, we were very close to a bunch of civil war battlefields. Uh, and Tiedem and Gettysburg and on and on. And uh, that was what he would do for fun is uh, I was the only one of his kids who <laughs> really cared about mm -hmm. any of that stuff. So he would load me in the car and on a Saturday, you know, we'd drive to Gettysburg or we would drive to Antietam. I walked the Antietam battlefield, I don't know how many times. Uh, wow. And he could tell me all the troop movements, 
you know, exactly what general was doing what and how many men died here and what heroic thing happened there. Uh, he had all that stuff in his, in his head from reading Bruce Caton and all mm-hmm. these great civil war historians. And, uh, so he just instilled in me very early on uh, a love of history um, and a love of love of reading, because uh, that's that's how most of us get our history. Um, so it was no surprise, you know, that I gravitated toward my my first wife's uh, dad uh, and his stories, and uh, and probably no no uh, no surprise that. Um, the first book I really wrote was The Five Destinies of Carlos Moreno, which is what I call Forgotten U.S. History. Um, I was sitting on the floor of a library in Roswell, Georgia, surrounded by stacks of books, um, reading about the history of Texas. I've always been fascinated by Texas. It's like mm. its own country. Yes, yeah. yes. It's it's more than the Lone Star State. It's its own country. Um, I agree. And uh, I've always always been fascinated by it. And uh, I came across this footnote um, in a chapter about uh, you know Texas during the Great Depression, and uh, the footnote said very starkly that. Uh, between 1928 and 1941, the government deported over 2 million people of Mexican heritage, and half of them, half, over a million people, were American citizens. Wow. Now, I had not heard that in a single history class I took, and I took a bunch of them. Never saw it on TV, never saw a movie about that. Um, and so I went right back to the bibliography, you know, and... Uh, copied down all of the the sources that uh, that were cited and you know got those books and looked at their sources and this has not been written about very much but it really happened you can go on youtube and see interviews with people this great repatriation the u.s mm-hmm. government called it uh wow you know it, that it happened to um so if you were brown and you looked poor in in chicago in texas up through the southwest and in the california uh federal agents and cops could stop you on the street and say prove you're a citizen and you'd wow. have that birth certificate in your pocket to do it and you wouldn't because why would you uh yeah and uh, they would say, well, come with us. And they put you on a truck, drive you to the border, have this little kangaroo court where they found you guilty of being in the country illegally, even if your people had been here for six generations. Mm-hmm. And put you on what they called a repatriation train. And this was all with the cooperation of the government of Mexico. Because uh, they were alarmed about so many of their able-bodied people leaving and uh, mm-hmm. going to the U.S. to work, they were kind of grateful to get them back, um, put them to work in their own country, even though these people were Americans, not Mexicans. Wow. And uh, so this repatriation train would go to the southern uh, end of Mexico, Oaxaca and places like that, kick you out, and you'd be 3,000 miles from the border. The Amazing. real irony, I mean, is if that wasn't bad enough, the real kick in the teeth was that when World War II started, the post office used to be so good that they got draft notices to those people living at the south end of Mexico now to, <laughs> to say, you've been drafted. Come back and fight for the country that kicked you out a decade ago. Wow. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Uh, but that was finally their proof that they were American citizens because they were drafted to go fight World War II. Uh, That's and amazing. they did, and those who survived came back and then spent the next decade trying to get their families out of Mexico. Uh, so all of this is forgotten U.S. history. Hardly anybody knows this. I was at a book signing a month ago uh, talking to a, a woman um, who of, of Mexican uh, origins, mm-hmm. and she knew about it. And she is the first person in nearly a decade I've spoken to at a book signing who actually knew that story. And she snapped up the book because, yep. you know, she, she wanted to read my spin on it. But, uh, uh, it, you know, it's I, I, I think it's so important to tell these stories. And, yes, uh, it is. you know, and. Uh, is it proper for, you know, a white middle-class guy who grew up in the 1970s and 1980s, you know, to tell this story? 
you know, probably not. I'm not the best person to tell that story, but as far as I can tell, other than a few scholars, I'm the only one who has. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I hope I hope people of uh, you know, with whose parents this happened to or grandparents this happened to, you know, will will tell this story too. And I'm sure they'll do a much better job than I did. But uh, I felt a real calling to get that one out just because uh, of history, and I hate that it's forgotten. Everybody knows about the Japanese Nisei, you know, mm -hmm. war camps in World War II. Hardly anybody knows about this thing. And, right. uh, you know, it affected a ton of people. It's the first time I'm hearing it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, makes you mad. Uh, yeah, it sure, it sure does. Only because it, it um, you know, most of the people standing on the ground of this country really love this country. Yeah. So when you're, uh, when you're standing here and then you're getting pushed away or uh, kidnapped and yeah. it, it just, uh, it's just amazing. So the, um, yeah. so you, you would see one of my greatest, one of my things on my bucket list was to become a history teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, so you would be an ideal history teacher for me. <laughs> um, and it'd be just because of your interest in that story. Those are the stories that I love. Yeah. And I used to, um, when I was in college, we had uh, Mr. Seeger, and um, he would always go, he would, t you know, get everything out that we needed to know, and then he would go on his tear and tell us a story yeah. that was outside the curriculum. Yeah. And that was the best part of the class for me, you know, and I was just amazed. I, and, um, and I really didn't get too much wrong in his class, you know, or, you know, I, I definitely did well in his class only because he had my ear. And yeah. um, from as soon as I got in, as soon as he said, hello, that was it. I paid attention to him. Um, and he was so fascinating to me um, and just because he, he just he went, he got sidetracked a little bit and he told us a story. And it was usually the best thing of the of the day of the class. You know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and I'll guarantee it's the stories you remember, not the the dry history facts. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we are wired for story. We really mm -hmm. are. You know, that's mm -hmm. the, it's the best way to learn. It's the best way to explain things. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's all about story. You know. So um. With all these books that you have, um, and I, I just, um, I, I want to get, I want to ask you a question, right? Yeah, go ahead. It's a weird really, mix of books. So. Yeah, and 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 that's what I'm getting. At. I, I just, I like, I seen, you know, aftermath. I, w I was just glued in. The first one was, watch what you say, right? Mm -hmm. That's this, and only that's because it, one, yeah. that co that cover. Yeah. It drew me into that book, so I was already. That's the first one I'm getting, yeah. you know. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden I started hearing, you know, the other stories. It was your father-in-law, and I said, "Oh man, that's the one I want." <laughs> so, so now it's, it's so I already had it clear cut. I had it in order one, two, and three. Well, the three is, you know, is is a history you know, with Carlos Moreno. Now that's, that's now I'm flip-flopping now. now so which <laughs> one's going to, which one's going to be two. So I, I, I know what I'm going to do is um, I'm just going to Amazon where I have some credit there and I'm going to get as much as I can with the balance that I have oh, there and just you. only because it, it, I can't make a decision, you know, <laughs> Well, then I've done my job if I've yeah, made them all sound compelling. Um, you should. You know, and uh, it, so I'm, I, I, I love history, but I also read really widely, and, and that's why I write widely. Um, I'm not sure it's the best strategy for an author. In fact, I will tell you that it is absolutely not the best strategy for an mm -hmm. author to jump genres the way mm -hmm. I do. Um, yeah. Much smarter if I had just focused on historical fiction. You know, it's Hardscrabble and Carlos Moreno. Um, they're uh, 
they're both historical. And uh, by the way, I got a thunderstorm rolling through. So if you lose me, that it wasn't out of rudeness. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I also love mysteries and thrillers. And mm -hmm. uh, that's what I listen to for fun. I, almost, I have hardly picked up a book in, in years because I'm so busy. But I've always got an audio book going. You know, I've just, uh, I've always got a book on my phone. Uh, Very nice. Same and, with me. Yep. And I'm always listening. So I read with my ears now instead of my eyes. Uh, in the car, you know, in the, in the bathroom, getting ready in the morning, you know, at night, brushing wow. my teeth, what have you. Um, and mysteries and thrillers, you know, have always captivated me. And so when I was thinking about uh, after Hard Scrabble, I wanted to take a break from the 1930s and 40s and you know put things in the modern age where people actually have bathrooms to go into and mm -hmm. you know you know regular clothes and stuff like that not like these poor boys grew up with with you know overalls and a work shirt and not even shoes or underwear um you know and gonna set something in a contemporary setting well what did i want to write well what do i what do i listen to all the time and it's mysteries mm -hmm. and thrillers and so uh, I started with Aftermath, which is uh, an amateur sleuth murder mystery. Um, and as much as I like to read about uh, like Michael Conley and Harry Bosch, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people who were in the system, you know, with a badge, you know, very nice uh, doing doing their jobs. Uh, I always like the amateur sleuth ones where people had to get by on their wits and they didn't have a badge to flash, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't have any authority behind them. They had no credibility. They're just doing it all, you know, uh, by their wits. Uh, and that was always compelling. So, uh, you know, the, uh, and, and PI stories, you know, you still, uh, well, stu still do love the Walter Mosley, easy rolling stories and all of that. Um, so, so I decided to make uh, Aftermath an amateur sleuth murder mystery. A woman goes back to little Georgia town where she was born. Uh, she hasn't lived there for uh, nearly 40 years. Her father, who is estranged from her, she hasn't seen him uh, in almost all that time. He's murdered, and the police say it's an open and shut case. Mm -hmm. She's inherited. She's the only survivor of his uh, family. She inherits his uh, his fortune and decides to reinvent herself by going down there. And then eh, it just kind of because she can't leave stuff alone, starts poking around and does murder and finds out there's a whole lot more there than, you know, the... Uh, the police could tie up and uh, it ends up being her versus this little town trying to hold on to all its secrets and scandals and wow. lies. And she gets herself in big trouble and has got to get herself out of it. Um, so that was Aftermath, a real funny, snarky heroine. Um, I always liked that uh, the Stephanie Plum character that Janet Ivanovich writes, uh, writes mm -hmm. about, you know, who's got a great sense of humor and all. Yes. Uh, so I wanted that kind of heroine. So Janet Wright is, you know, is my Stephanie Plumish character. Uh, and then from that one, um, I wanted to write a kidnap thriller, but instead of the usual damsel in distress, uh, which has been done to death, uh, I wanted the dude in distress and the damsel mm -hmm. trying to come to his rescue, which you almost never see. No. Uh, so you know, started thinking about, well, how do I achieve that? Um, you know, why is this woman's husband kidnapped? And, uh, uh, and I had been doing a lot of podcasts, not like this, but where I would actually go visit people in a studio and, you know, they would have the, the microphone equipment set up and all that. And, uh, so I started, you know, envisioning sort of a, a talk show host and somebody desperately wants to get on her talk show mm -hmm. and he's got his own, he's got a connection with her that she doesn't realize. Um, and the only way he's going to get on her talk show in his warped mind is to kidnap her husband and threaten to kill him if she doesn't put him on. Oh, wow. So boom, instant guest. <laughs> and uh, I love it. <laughs> so, so he's got a, keep up this pretense of an interview with the man who kidnapped her husband. Otherwise he's going to shoot hubby. 
Um, and it becomes almost a reverse Scheherazade story. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, in the story of Scheherazade and Thousand One Arabian Nights, she's talking, telling these stories to save her own life. And then watch what you say. She's keeping this guy talking to keep her husband alive. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, and so it becomes, you know, it's, it's not just one day and he's going to let him go. She has to do this day after day. Um, you know, and with him putting her through hell. And uh, she's got this ability called chromesthesia, which is mm -hmm. a real thing. Uh, Duke Ellington, Ellington had it. Lady, Lady Gaga has it. Billy Joel has it. Uh, Farrell Williams, whole, uh, Mary J. Blige. All of these people have it. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it is, is you see colors and shapes for sounds that you hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all of these people that I named are famous musicians because they've been inspired by their chromesthesia oh, wow. uh, to create the shapes and colors that they want to see in their mind. And that produces, you know, songs that we'll know for the, you know, the rest of our lives and hopefully, you know, our children and grandchildren's lives. Uh, right. You know, I know they'll be playing Take the A Train, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh so I decided to give this woman uh, chromesthesia because I'm fascinated by it. Uh, anything neurological I'm, I'm really interested in. That's very nice. And uh, so I, but I need to give her a little twist. Uh, it's not enough for her to see the shapes and colors. She needs to be able to interpret them. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking to her, whether face-to-face -face or like this, you know, over an internet connection, she can tell whether you're lying to her or not by the shapes and colors she sees as you're talking to her. So she can literally watch what you say. And, uh, uh, and so that's where the title comes from. And that's her hope is that because she's this human lie detector that she can, uh, you know, pull enough out of the kidnapper, maybe unbeknownst to him that, uh, you know, she'll be able to, to get enough to figure out where her husband's at and how to rescue him. And of course, it won't be enough. She's going to have to rely on a whole lot more, you know, personal resources than that. But, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's the gist of watch what you say. And that's, uh, that's... that was a lot of fun to write. Um, in fact, both of these, and uh, so both of these have heroines at their center. And I mm -hmm. enjoyed writing about both these women so much that I'm now working on a sequel where I bring them together um i figured if marvel can keep combining their universes i can do it too so, exactly <laughs> so um, smart, smart move man <laughs> yeah so so if you liked aftermath well you got a sequel with janet wright if you like to watch what you say you got a sequel with Bo ricardi that it's now a thelma and louise kind of situation though um and they're uh they're both in it together um so nice. uh, so i'm just kind of outlining that right now and I'll get started writing. I'm a very slow writer. You, it takes me yeah. years to uh, finally finish a book, but uh, the thoughts are always going. You know, yeah. well, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you a title. That you can it. start that you can start on next year. Let's see. Um, uh, we got the pastor, the priest, and the rabbi, and the triplets. And they're female. How would you rate that? <laughs> Red set go. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So it, it just, you know, just think of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it just, you know, probably neither one of them, well, maybe a pastor, maybe a female. But um, when you kind of link it, oh, you know, you they're triplets. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And, um, and you... Uh, you know, and they're all female and the triplets. So that means they're all related. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. And, uh, and a, a big nature versus nurture discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they they all, all three chose paths of faith, but, yes. uh, but, but very different things. That's true. We have, um, yeah. um, I have, uh, right. Two pastors in my, in my life and, um, in my family. And their and their brothers, one had passed away, but you know they yeah. they basically were uh, two diff two different you know teachers and and, and messengers. You know they yeah. did it differently. Yep. 
but I, I, I love listening to both of them. And, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, one, one of, one of them had, had wrote a, a book and, um, and I'd like to get him on my podcast, but he's so busy, but I need to get him on there because his book is, 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 is interesting. And it teaches you scriptures and stuff. And it is definitely, uh, but it's a great, great book. And it's, it's focused on teaching men, you know, men. And, uh, but I like to get him on. So if you hear me past the Robert Mendes, I need to get you on the really Charlie <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm so glad you, you focus on, on so many writers. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I love writers. My, my life is, is just immersed with writers. I've surrounded myself with writers. Um, about 20 years ago, I joined the Atlanta Writers Club. Uh, and, uh, and I discovered my calling is not writing. It's helping other writers. Uh, oh, I agree. When, when, when I was growing up, my best friend, uh, he knew he wanted to be a doctor. And I always envied him because I just kind of staggered through school and I didn't know what I wanted to be. Uh, I, I enjoyed writing, but knew that was a really hard row to hoe. And, yes. uh, you know, it, very few writers make their living writing. Most of them are teachers or do other things. Um, so, you know, I just kind of, you know, just drifted through through school going you know, toward one thing and then another. And he always laser focused. I'm going to be a medical doctor. And he is to this day, I'm going to see mm -hmm. him next week for the first time in, in years. And I'm really excited. Uh, Cause you know, growing up, I remember just being so envious of him because mm -hmm. he just knew. And uh, when I joined the Atlanta writers club and I realized how much fun it was helping other writers saying, Oh, here's the resources you know, that's going to be great for you. Uh, I met this person who's a book cover designer. You're looking for a book cover designer, match them up, you know? So I must become this old fashioned Yenta matchmaker, you know? I love it. I love uh, it. You know, marrying people up. Uh, but I, I really discovered that that is my calling. And uh, so, uh, you know, I've, I've had leadership roles in the, the Atlanta writers club uh, since, uh, real 2002, I guess I took on my first board role and I became president in 2004 and then president again, uh, a few years ago. And I'm executive director for life. I think, uh, <laughs> there's nobody who's knocking at the, that door wanting to get in. So, um, I think I'm, you know, God willing, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Just helping, helping other writers. Uh, like and to I run a, Go ahead. I'd like to give you guys a five star for the, the two conferences that you have. And yeah. Yeah. So, so I, that's, that's really my main focus is every year I run two writers conferences, uh, the Atlanta writers conference, you know, unimaginative title, uh, once in, in the spring and, and, and again in the fall. So our next one is November 4th and 5th of this, mm. this year. And we do it in a hotel down by the airport. And, uh, and I bring in, uh, literary agents and acquisitions editors who work for publishers. And uh, we've gotten a bunch of people representation deals with agents and uh, publishing deals with, uh, with publishers. Uh, one of our, uh, our alumna, uh, Becky Albertalli, um, her book, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda was turned into a movie, Love, Simon, that came out, what, 2018? And mm -hmm. uh, was a uh, big enough hit that Hulu is now has Love Victor on it. I heard, uh, I heard and that. that. Yeah, and that's a spinoff uh, from, wow. from Love Simon. So, you know, so she's got a TV show and a movie out of out of her book, and she got her agent through the Atlanta Writers Conference. Uh, so, we are really proud. I drop her name whenever I can mm -hmm. um, because uh, she's, you know, she's really. Uh, really made us proud and uh yeah, so, sounds and, like a getaway for me on november 4th i think uh yeah fourth and fifth yeah so okay. uh so the way where we structure the uh the conference is uh, on the fourth it's it's all about education where uh you can do query letter critiques because a query letter for people don't don't know and most people don't why would you 
uh, query letter <laughs> is a business letter where you're trying to describe to an agent or editor what's so great about your book, why they should be interested in getting the manuscript mm -hmm. and digging into it. Um, so it's a sales pitch. Yeah. Um, and it is harder to write than the doggone book is. I believe uh, it. Because, you know, you, you, you hold it, you got to hold it to a page and you've got to cram in everything you think is great and kind of synthesize it down to what, 200 words less, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Uh, and have enough about the book to intrigue people and enough about yourself to make them think, well, I can envision this person as my client. You know, they, they seem really cool. And uh, it's a really hard document to write. So we do query letter critiques with the agents and editors on Friday. People who you are not going to meet, meet with, people who can objectively look at your, your work and say, hey, Charlie, here's how to make it better mm -hmm. so that when you have your meetings on Saturday, you're going to put your best stuff forward. Um, wow. And so... Uh, so Friday's all about that that education and that getting that feedback from independent sources, and then uh, and we do workshops and other educational things. Um, and so this time I've got uh, Alex Finley, who's a breakout thriller writer, and he's going to do first page critiques. So he'll take people's first pages of their manuscripts and uh, and do critiques live. Mm right there during the workshop and say, you're doing this great, do more of this. Here's some things to bump me out, you know, here's some ideas for, you know, ways to correct it. Wow. Uh, so that's Friday. And then and we have a nice little mixer with all the, the agents and editors. You get a chance to meet them all with a drink in your hand and, you know, just kind of so socialize and schmooze with them. And then on Saturday, is the real meat and potatoes of the conference. They do uh, manuscript sample critiques. Uh, so you can submit uh, pages of your, your manuscript in advance uh, and they'll have given you feedback in advance so that you can come prepared. You know what they're gonna talk about. You have your questions, you know, based on their feedback. They've told you whether they're gonna be interested in getting more mm -hmm. pages from you. And uh, pitches where you have that that nasty query letter, and you're uh, you're bringing that with you to uh, give them a little heads up about what your project's about, and uh, you know, and then having a conversation about it and trying to get their interest, uh, you know, and and trying to get them to say, oh, that sounds great, you know, send me your manuscript. Uh, and so it's. Uh, you know, Saturday is the real stressful day. Uh, so we have fun on Friday and then mm -hmm. we sweat a lot on Saturday. And uh, and I let's see, this is my 27th uh, Atlanta Writers Conference. Uh, so I've been Very doing nice. well over a decade and uh, and just find it so satisfying. You know, I, I want to I want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just trying to. Match up agents and editors with writers and give people an opportunity because that's yeah. what they need. You know, this this business is so hard. Everybody's behind these firewalls. The only way to get their attention is to bring them to a conference. That's your only opportunity. You cannot knock on some literary agent's door and say, hey, can I take you to lunch? No. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to go to lunch with you. Uh, I don't care if you're buying, you know, they don't mm -hmm. want to go to lunch with you. Uh, there's, they've got way too many people who are knocking, you know, knocking on their doors wanting to do that. So they don't open that door. They, the only time they open is at a writer's conference. I agree. So, uh, so we open that door for you, basically. Um, and that's that's what I found I really love. As much as I like writing, it's, uh, it's the writer's club and... Uh, you know, in these conferences that really jazz me uh, and just nice. you know, get me up each day. How's it, how's it work for a guy like me that all my books are self-published? Well, do you have a manuscript that isn't self-published that you're, that you're working on? Hmm. Let's see. Yeah. A few of them, but they're probably, if I had to give it a, um, you know, where it's at, it's probably at the very first third of each book you know so, right right yeah. so you know uh so one thing you can do is uh you know you can bring or you can submit uh you know uh 
query letter are, are these nonfiction? Yes. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So you can submit a query letter and a 20 page book proposal because in, in nonfiction, they want to see a book proposal, which includes a sample chapter, but they want to know about you and your marketing and what's your platform mm -hmm. and why are you the guy to write this book? So that's all in the, in the book, book proposal. Um, and you can submit it to them and you can be very frank in your query letter and say, look, I'm still working on this, but I want you to tell me where I've gone off the rails, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because I can still get back on the rails because I'm not yeah. done with the thing yet. Exactly. Um, and I can still build my platform if you don't think it's a sufficient platform yet. And I want your ideas about that. And you can put them to work and say, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with you because I want your ideas. I don't, I'm not trying to sell you anything because I'm not ready yet with this project. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, you know, I want your feedback. Uh, so that's one thing you can do. Uh, some of the agents and editors say that they are open to self-published work. Uh, so in their cases, you know, uh, you could take, you know, the, the one that has done the best because uh, they're going to be interested in sales history, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, you know, present present the evidence for for that and say you know this one has sold x thousands of copies or whatever and uh, you know and 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 i think it's worthy of finding a, a bigger audience and that's why i'm interested in agent representation or you know a publisher awesome. uh, so the only reason you go to an agent by the way for for those of y'all um out there who don't know is you're interested in a contract with one of the big five publishers. And those are the publishers that even non writers can name mm -hmm. random house, Simon and Schuster, you know, Harper Collins, uh, McMillan, all those guys, Hachette. Um, the, you want an agent if you're shooting for the stars, you know, okay. if, uh, if you're swinging for the fences, um, you don't need an agent. Uh, to go after mid-list, mid-level, and, and small publishers. They'll work directly with authors. Um, and so some of the publishers I bring are some of the big ones. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I have somebody from uh, uh, Simon Schuster and somebody from HarperCollins and, and the like. Um, but I also have somebody from Sourcebooks and somebody from uh artemis press and devil's party press and other publishers uh chicago review review press other publishers who will work directly with the with the author um that they don't need to have a you know an agent as a go-between they'll they'll work directly with the author and so those are opportunities where you can skip the agent and go right to publishing very uh, nice and uh you know, so that's an exciting opportunity that that we off, offer that, uh, you know, if you want to swing for the fences and there are lots of people who, you know, have stars in their eyes and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you ought to if you if you can. Uh, you can yeah. be Becky Albertalli. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to get your book out sooner and, uh, you know, and you don't need to you know, the book to have Harper Collins on the, on the spine or Simon Schuster or whatever. Um, and you know, you're fine with a smaller, smaller publisher, a smaller footprint Then these people, you know, are seriously looking for more authors. Um, so, so that's, you know, it's an exciting opportunity, uh, for, for our participants to, uh, to actually meet with publishers who would publish them rather than say, Oh, you know, when you get an agent, call me. That's great. Because we got those too, but, uh, yeah. but we also got the ones who are willing to work with, uh, the average James and Joe's. Yeah, and, Charlie's. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, Michael's also, yes, this is, uh, absolutely. This is Charlie. Let's connect. Um, on the writers' conference, and I will reserve the corporate transportation. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, if people are interested in the writers' conference, uh, you you can Google Atlanta Writers' Conference, and we'll come up, you know, first on Google. But uh, you can also just go to AtlantaWritersConference.com, and uh, all the information is there. And uh, 
my contact information is all over that thing. So you can, uh, you can get okay. in touch with me if you have any questions about the conference or, or the Atlanta Writers Club. Uh, we have members in Alaska. We have members in Germany, in Africa, in the Caribbean. Wow. Uh, we got members all over the, the world because, you know, people are getting stuff out of it. Uh, even though we got in-person meetings, we also do online workshops. So anybody around the world can participate in those, you know, in their pajamas. Uh, we got a, uh, a yearly writing contest where, you know, members can, can live anywhere. Um, they, can, they can live on the International Space Station and submit. I love it. I um, love it. So, um, you know, and, and we, we have cash prizes for those. Uh, we have online critique groups. Um, so... Again, it doesn't matter where you live. You can participate in a critique group of ours. Hmm. All that information is at uh, atlantawritersclub.org, uh, if you don't mind another plug. No, that's great. That's what you're here for. I, I um, And just look, you know, being on your website, as as I found a lot of resources for myself, you know, and um, even on your Facebook page, and I was just, grabbing what I could, you know, to say, Hey, I'm interested in this, especially with the Atlanta's writers club. Um, that is, uh, I draw some interest with the, uh, you know, Southern fried karma. And I just, those things, those things that, um, I'm very, very interested in. Yeah. It's um, a, it's a really neat group. Uh, as, as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, uh, they have been around since 1914, the Atlanta writers club has, uh, awesome. you know, and you can imagine what, what the group was like when they started out, you know, just, a uh, a bunch of white folks, uh, you know, meeting in a very exclusive environment, but now we've got over 1100 members, and it's an inc- it looks like the city of Atlanta. It's an incredibly wow. diverse group, um, and uh, you know LGBTQ, um, mm-hmm. neural diversity, uh, so people with autism. Um, you know, so we got all kinds of neural diversity. There's uh, just every every kind of every kind of person you know you'd ever hope to meet. Uh, you know, is engaged uh, through this writers club, and it's really, really heartening to see so many people from so many diverse backgrounds come together, and you know, just share this love of writing, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and love of story. It's uh, it's amazing. That I have some family down there, um, and uh, they left Cape Cod and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> so and and it's a lot of what you're talking about the diversity the, yeah. the, there's so much to do there's so much you know as far as any career that you may be uh qualified for it's there it's in place um yeah. so uh you know uh but um i'm happy for you folks down there doing the right thing you know hey, thank you it's a it's an amazing group yeah. Come see um, us. I will. I sure will. <laughs> um, George, I, I have um, a question that I ask all my guests. Sure. and um, Hit me. Who would you like to see on the Really Charlie podcast? Well, I got a host of, of writers to uh, to share with you. So I'll uh, I'll send you all their, their contact information. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I anybody in the arts that that uh that you can bring and arts is as general word as you know as you Mm -hmm. want to apply um i think anything can can be done creatively and artistically from lord from welding and brick lane to uh you know to law enforcement to, to everything um you know, I, I just love to hear from people who are doing whatever they're passionate about, whatever they do in a creative way, uh, in an authentic way, um, in a way that, you know, brings them joy and that, that and they're able to convey that joy. So, you know, whether you're, you know, <laughs> talking to God or uh, mm-hmm. wrangling gophers, uh, yeah. you know, if you do it with love, I want to, I want to see him on your show. Awesome. I'm going to do that. And 
that's that's what drives me and keeps this podcast going is because of the guests that I have on here. And um, I uh, gained some friendships and I gained um, some knowledge in every single po- podcast that I had. Um, uh, except my brother's podcast. When he was on it, he, he swore so much. I, I thought I was uh, <laughs> only joking. I love my brother. He's funny. He's, uh, I call him the Michael Epps of the of the family you know he's a comedian just like um and yeah but he was also uh my lifetime best friend you know i I never i never had to look for friends in the neighborhood and we moved from massachusetts to california i went down to florida so um he wasn't with me in florida but you know no matter where we went um i never had to look for friends because i always had one in the same house so that's played, beautiful. Yeah, we played sports together. We we got in trouble together, you know. So <laughs> it's uh it's definitely um you know I'm 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 glad my my parents gave me a brother to grow up with, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. You're very lucky. Yeah. So we uh we're gonna I'm gonna continue to support you. I'm gonna continue oh, to you. share everything that you Likewise. possibly are involved in. I'll put it on the podcast on on the on the pages. Um, but uh, first and foremost, I'm going to be a fan of yours, and um, oh. I'm definitely going to add to my bookshelf like I do with most of my guests. Um, and uh, your routine during the day is to listen to audible books, and I do the same. I'm if you don't see earbuds in my ears, you know there's something wrong. I must have <laughs> lost them or something. So. Yeah. And, uh, well, the the guy who narrates uh, Hard Scrabble Road um, also does Five Destinies. Guy, uh, his his uh, stage name is Ben Collins, and he's mm. a marvelous actor and uh, just uh, just perfect uh, in both of those roles. Awesome. Um, Elizabeth Bailey says, "Great podcast, guys. I definitely uh, gained some knowledge tonight, and look forward to reading." Your books, George. Oh, Good. thank you. That's I really awesome. appreciate that. Thanks very much. That's nice. Yeah, we're so, Facebook friends. Mm, thank awesome. you. Yeah, hopefully you get a hundred or so more friends because of this podcast. You oh, deserve it. it. You really deserve it. Oh, thank you. All right, my friend. You uh keep in touch. Yes, and uh too. anything I could do for you, I'm a message away. Um and likewise. And I'll definitely uh, uh, let me see nine out of yeah nine out of ten. I, I think I'm going to be at that conference November fourth. Well, and if that doesn't work, we'll get another one next May, and then another yeah. one next November, and as long as my old heart is ticking. Yeah, sooner the better for me because my creativity is um, is really going now, and uh, so this is the best time for me to. Uh, uh, listen and learn from some people yeah. that uh, can help me out. Yeah, well, we'll hook you up. And, All right. Uh, I love you. Thank you so much for this. Love you too, man. Give give the family a high five, and, and including the four-legged friend, uh, family that you have there. Yeah. You know, give them a high five for me, and I really appreciate you. All right. I'll be listening to your show. All right. Thank you, George. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, all right. Hey, I know every every podcast I'm gaining a friend. This is a fascinating author, you know, and I, I'm going to leave that on the bottom screen there. Continue, go to his website. Listen to some podcasts on Spotify. Just punch his name in, in the search and just listen to his stories. They're amazing. Um, and these books are definitely something that's worth listening to, um, whether it's through Spotify, um, audible books and definitely get them. And, uh, you know, in Atlanta's writers club, man, it's, he's a great sponsor. I mean, a great, uh, example, a great representative of that, that, that club. And it's been going on over a hundred years, as he said. So please, please support George and his books and, and you will, I guarantee you, if you don't like his books, send me the bill and I'll buy the book and I'll give it to someone else, you know, because that's definitely uh, 
that's a, a top quality author and I can't wait to meet him person to person. And, uh, so you take care. Um, got podcast coming up every week, Wednesday, I'm going to continue to, uh, add guests here. Um, and so continue to support the podcast, subscribe to my YouTube channel, really Charlie. And, uh, and feel free. You can get in touch with me. I'll bring any one of the guests that you want on here. Um, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, controversial, I don't care. It's, this is a podcast where people really get to say what they have to. All right. God bless y'all. Take care. And uh, I'll be seeing you. It's the really Charlie podcast. Yeah, it's the really Charlie podcast. Yo, yo, it's the really Charlie podcast. Bump into your broadcast. Grab a chair, fill your glass. Yeah, it's the really Charlie podcast. Yo, it's the really Charlie podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's the really Charlie podcast. Bump into your broadcast. Grab a chair, fill your glass. You are listening to WMB1 Radio. I'm Charlie Perry, along with my co-host, my friend, Russell Ramos. We are serving you R&B music on the rocks. Chilled music with chilled hosts, where you get to listen to the music you love the most on WMB1 Radio. Join us on Tuesday night, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time on WMB1 Radio, sounds from the secret city. Take care, y'all, and enjoy the music.